we go on the last Sunday morning of April in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio every Sunday at 8 on Fox Sports Radio 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio that we also includes social media director Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. And producer Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing and being a part of a lot of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, Mags also serves as the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network and the host of the UNLV football pre-pregame show on our other sister station, ESPN Radio Las Vegas. We are also streaming on the LV Sports Network. And you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. Studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp. is the company to turn to for all of your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 to get information on all of the home financing options currently available in Nevada. On Tap! The 2023 NFL Draft is now behind us. The Vegas Golden Knights are headed to round two of the NHL playoffs. The WNBA champion Las Vegas Aces are getting ready for a new season in their brand new state-of-the-art practice facility. And Aces GM Natalie Williams will join the show to talk about that. A couple of big upsets in the first round of the NBA playoffs, and the Las Vegas Aviators are rolling. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, contact Residential Bank Corp., the company that is funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on current home financing options in the state of Nevada. And, uh, I mean, we can jump right into this, guys. You know, I'd, I'd ask you how you're doing and everything else, but the NFL draft is upon us. I know how Chris Chapman's doing because the New York Jets iced and finalized their uh, deal with Aaron Rodgers. We all knew it would happen. I thought it would happen before the NFL draft. It did. That uh, settled everything down and let everyone know where they stand, and the Jets now have a quarterback and a shot at improving from what they did last year. The Detroit Lions draft, as we know, is over as well, and being from Detroit, you knew I'd have to chime in on that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Some disappointed, some ecstatic, some bewildered, and of course, we can't have the show without talking about the Las Vegas Raiders and their draft, which I think was successful, and I think Spencer is even going to have a few good things to say about that. Spence, I'll bring you right in, man, and we'll start with the Las Vegas Raiders. You know, it's funny, when you looked at my draft board, looking at the sixth pick in the draft, which is what the Lions originally had, um, I didn't expect them to trade that pick away. I mean, they got it from the Rams. It was a gift. The Rams win the Super Bowl. The Lions have the first their first pick after the Super Bowl season, and the Rams go into the tank. Matthew Stafford on the shelf for most of the season. Aaron Donald on the shelf for uh, a good portion of the season. Um, the team Cooper Cup out for almost all season, and the team doesn't win a lot of games. The Lions benefit by getting 
getting the sixth pick. And, you know, what happened is it got to the Lions at the sixth pick, and here's my opinion. I like Brad Williams. Okay, I do. I like Dan Campbell. I do. But I think Brad Williams, after eight months of knowing the Detroit Lions were going to have the sixth pick in the draft, and let's say not quite eight months, but we'll say six months anyways, um, he punted. He got the, the sixth pick. He panicked, and he punted. And he punted to the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, next thing you know, the Lions have the 12th pick in the draft. They draft Gibbs, a running back out of Alabama that uh, a lot of people like, that people have put made comparisons of Alvin Kamara. I've heard people even make comparisons of Christian McCaffrey for this guy, all-purpose back. I think that's way overblown. He's not uh, worthy of as high of a draft pick for the, as those two guys at this point anyways. I think there's an upside. The guy can catch the ball out of the backfield. I like it. But I'll tell you right now, when I looked at the sixth pick overall, I looked at a guy named Tyree Wilson out of Texas Tech. Six foot six, two hundred and seventy pounds, uh, seventy five pounds, as big, strong, and fast as any D lineman out there, and he was available with the six pick, but the Lions decided to punt, and the Raiders ended up with Tyree Wilson. Uh, Spencer, do you like that pick? Uh, I am happy with it, and more than anything, just because for the first time in a very long time, it seems that the Raiders haven't reached into the second round to take within the top 10. So that's very exciting. He wasn't maybe at the top of my list, some questions about his pass rushing skills, but if you're going to, if you're going to pair him up with anybody to learn how to develop pass rushing skills, very few people in the entire league that can teach him more. Talk about Max Crosby, obviously Chandler Jones is like one of his big draft comps. He's going to be playing next to him. So I can't imagine he's not going to be ready to go. And I think the team is kind of, gearing up to get rid of Chandler Jones. Not this year. They restructure his contract. He's going to play it out for the next couple of years. But I'm talking about the next five years. You know, that's what this team really wants. They want Tyree Wilson. They want Max Crosby on the other end. So I can't be too mad about that. Kind of hoping they went to Christian Gonzalez. But as the draft went on, it became kind of obvious that there was something that happened in the pre-draft process that's clearly said to a lot of GMs, this guy's not a top 10 pick. I don't know what it is. Obviously, like, we don't get to talk to these guys. We can only look at the tape. But these interviews make a big difference. And clearly, for a lot of teams, it did, too. So much so that Washington didn't even take him when they clearly had a big knee. They went somewhere else. They went for the cornerback from Mississippi State. Uh, but to go to the Lions, Brian, I, I mean, I was just shocked. I mean, I did a lot of, you know, research into round one. I felt pretty comfortable with every name that was going to be called. Jameer Gibbs was a late entry into the first round, but we're talking like fringe later in the first round. Like maybe the Eagles are interested in going for him, you know, at that later pick where they took Nolan Smith and they just took him so early and they looked like they had just won the Super Bowl inside the war room. They know they made that pick like they knew something that nobody else in the entire NFL knew. Maybe they do, but I know a guy, Mike Mayock for the Raiders, who did the same thing, who thought that, he knew something that every single other GM in the entire league did not. So it is what it is. I'm not saying Jameer Gibbs is bad, but just thinking how like how close the Lions were to competing in the playoffs last year, and really the only reason wasn't be was because of their defense, and just seeing them go so heavy into their offense in the first three rounds was absolutely perplexing, Brian. Yeah, you know, it, it, it surprised me, Spencer. I thought it was going to be all defense. I understand in retrospect because obviously they knew they were planning on dishing uh, uh, um, Swift off 
And, uh, you know, to the Eagles, who I think had the best draft, Jalen Carter, a guy that was still available also at number six. Either one of those guys, either him or Wilson, in my opinion, were great additions to any defensive line in the National Football League. As you said, Spencer, uh, going back to the Raiders, you know, to have Chandler Jones and Max Crosby as their edge rushers. And now you, you put a guy in the in the, in the the middle, a guy like uh, Tyree Wilson, who is going to cause disruption. He's a big, strong character, and he definitely has a decent motor, and he gets off the line of scrimmage well. All of a sudden, if you're looking at double-teaming Crosby or Jones on either side, this guy can cause you problems as well on the interior of the defensive line. Uh, I liked him a lot, and I think Jalen Carter did the same thing. I thought, man, what a relief to Hutchinson to get a guy like that uh, to really offset where you can't focus so much just on Aiden Hutchinson in Detroit. And I was shocked by that. And then the Raiders on top of Tyree Wilson, Spencer, we'll talk about the Lions. I wanted to get to that in a minute. But Michael Meyer, man, to me, the best tight end in the draft. The Raiders felt so too as they got him with the 35th pick. I think this guy, it shows them addressing an immediate need. Not that I do not like the guy that they have and they've had as the number two tight end behind Darren Waller. Uh, you know, I think that uh, Foster Moreau has done, has done a pretty damn good job for this team and I think he's a solid tight end. I don't think he's a world beater. I think it's funny. The one thing he does do at some point, somebody really pounded into Foster Moreau's head. Don't fumble the football because every time he catches it, he holds on to that thing like he's holding on to gold bullion. I mean, he just really puts both hands around it, tucks and runs and just kind of runs forward. But Michael Meyer is a guy that can block. He's big. He's strong. He can catch the football. This is a guy that could end up being one of those uh, upper echelon tight ends in the National Football League. People have compared him to guys, uh, some of the greats of all time, Spencer. This guy, I think, initially at least from the eye test, has that type of ability. Yeah, I, I personally had Dalton Kincaid as my number one, but a very close second goes to Michael Meyer. And when I mean second, I mean, I didn't think he was going to go in the second round. I thought he'd be the second tight end taken in the first round. It didn't end up falling that way. I think going into day two for the Raiders, I think they tried aggressively that night, and there were a lot of uh, reports about this. They wanted to trade up with the Steelers because they wanted to take Joey Porter Jr., I think. And I think that when the Steelers said, no, that's our guy, that's who we're taking, you know, we drafted his father all these years ago. This is who we want on our team. And the Raiders said, okay, well, as soon as the Lions took Sammy Laporta, the, the Raiders are like, what is happening? We got to move up to get this guy. This is ridiculous. Michael Meyer is a first-round pick. We can get him in the second. You know, maybe, like, there's obviously a lot of holes on the defensive side of the ball for the Raiders, and some fans were upset about that. But if you get a guy this talented, it's worth moving up, right? Austin Hooper's fine uh, as a guy on the team, that as a rotational guy. But I, it would have been okay if he was the starter this year. But obviously, it's not really going to move anything. This is a guy who looks like he's going to be able to start for a really long time. A lot of people think he has the potential to be a superstar in this league. So a really good pick for them in round two, about as good as you can get. And I think the greatest thing that they did throughout this whole process, man, one of the best smoke screens for the Raiders, they were never interested in taking a quarterback in the first three rounds. And they fooled everybody, including me. I was like, are they going to trade up for Will Levis? Are they going to trade up for Hendon Hooker? They just wanted talent. They wanted to beef up their team. I think they're gearing up to do a big, big move for a quarterback going into next season. 
Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you. Um, you know, I'm not sure Aiden O'Connell is exactly what you're looking at as being the heir apparent to uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, but at least they made an effort, and I think so as well, Spencer. I think quarterback will be a focus of them down. And, you know, see, I, I still think Michael Meyer, to me, had the best, Michael Mayer, I should say, had the best potential at the tight end position. I really thought that's who the Lions were going to take, and it's funny, if I'm Sam Laporta, another tight end out of Iowa, I said, hell, I don't want to go to the Lions. Oh, well, then again, maybe it's not a bad thing. I won't be in Detroit very long. They shipped off the last Iowa tight end that they grabbed with a top 10 pick in the first round five years ago. Why not uh, grab another tight end now in the second round in Sam Laporta? It's like, you know, those kind of moves I don't understand. And again, I thought Mayer was a better option. I thought the Raiders got the better of the two tight ends in a back-to-back pick of tight ends in the second round. The Lions first with Laporta, and then of course Mayer went to the Raiders. But overall, Spencer, you know, the Raiders get a good grade for me. I think that uh, that they made some decent moves. I was impressed with uh, you know with, with with a lot of the things. I thought I thought I thought that getting uh, you know th- that uh, that getting even the defensive tackle Byron Young I thought was a nice pick in the th- the seventh pick in the third round. Followed that up with Trey Tucker, who may turn out to be a decent wide receiver, also a third round pick. I just like what they did. They got defensive help. They got a cornerback, a linebacker. I mean, they went through the draft and they addressed a lot of needs, especially on the defensive side of the football, which I think is absolutely gigantic. And I and so I like what the Raiders did. Lions, I'm going to give them a C- draft. Again, Jameer Gibbs, as you mentioned, Spencer, the guy has an upside. And uh, and it is the fact he can catch the ball out of the backfield. He can be it, which makes him an every down back. If you can catch the ball in the slot out of the backfield, you can pick up some yards. You can play on all three downs. That's a good thing. They also offset, you know, complement him with Montgomery, who they picked up from the Bears. I mean, it's a two-headed monster. You know, you look at Swift and people say, well, you know, the Swift next year, his contract was going to expire. They weren't going to re-sign him anyways. How can you say that? If the guy stays healthy all year, I'm talking about with, with uh, DeAndre Swift. He stays healthy all year. The Lions figure something out next year and being three running backs deep is not a bad thing in the National Football League. Almost no team goes unscathed at that position for an entire season and I, I like I said, I'm, I'm shocked at the move and again, I looked at it as though Brad Holmes who I respect and like as a general manager. Matter of fact, over the past decade plus, he's the best general manager I think they've had. I, I've changed my opinion about Dan Campbell. I like him. I've changed my opinion about Jared Goff, but I think the Lions are making too many moves. Over drafting, overlooking at everything right now when, I'm not going to say it wasn't broke, the team went 9-8 and eight and didn't make the playoffs last year, but again the Lions needed help defensively and especially on that defensive line they needed help at the linebacker position and I know there's a lot of people that aren't a big fan of Jack Campbell out there, look at the size of this guy, okay 6'4", 250 pounds and I'm not going to say that he runs like a deer but he runs really well and the one thing about Jack Campbell, if you got a chance to watch this guy in college he's simply a ball hawk he is around the ball all the time and he makes a lot of tackles and that's what you want from your middle line linebacker, a guy that makes a lot of tackles. Now, granted, if you're worried about his ability to rush the passer, yeah, he had only four sacks in three years as a starter in college. However, 
a guy who reminds me of is a big version of like a Jack Lambert, a guy that's all over the field on a regular basis. Now, the thing is with Jack Lambert, he wasn't a pass rushing specialist either. But where is he? He's in the Hall of Fame. I like Jack Campbell a lot. That might have been a too high of a pick to get him, but I don't know that he would have lasted to the 34th pick in the second round had they waited that long for him. And again, I think Jameer Gibbs, they could have gotten with the 18th pick and gotten somebody else with the 6th pick up front and maybe still gotten Campbell, who knows, in the second round. Either way, um, the jury's out. A lot of people like what the Lions did. If you look at draft experts, they're right there with me. It's a C to a C minus grade overall considering how many picks they had two in the first two in the second two in the third you got to make the most of it how are these guys you know i like the pick at 68 spencer i don't know what your thought is lions pick but i thought hendon hooker getting him in the third round for the detroit lions as maybe an heir apparent or at least an understudy to jared goff i thought that was a good pick and that was a little bit of protection and a guy that has a ton of athletic ability i don't know that he's ready to be an nfl quarterback right now but i think down the road at some point he could be pretty good yeah, well, this is the way I think about it, and this is kind of how I grade. You know, the Lions were 9-8 and eight last year. You're right. Were they Jameer Gibbs, Jordan Battle, Sammy Laporta, and Hendon Hooker away from making the playoffs? When I put those four names together, that doesn't seem to make sense. That doesn't seem to fix what their problems were and the, and the slim reason why they weren't in the playoffs. I like Jordan Battle. I think he's the best safety. This is the weakest safety class I've seen in a really, really long time. I see San, I see Jordan Battleborn as like a, a linebacker in obvious third down situations. He's like a little bit small. He's actually kind of a bigger guy, someone who I think would be best to convert as some sort of outside linebacker. I'm not sure. I'm not a defensive coordinator, but he's good. He was the best, you know, safety in the draft. I just don't think this is the year that they go after a quarterback. I mean, the guy tore his ACL. He's not playing this year. He's going to sit behind Jared Goff, and maybe he's the future. But I think if you have Jared Goff in front of you, why not just like let him – make his best effort the guy's been to a super bowl before you go if they imagine if the first four picks were impact defensive players that feels like something that the lines could have used and then now make the playoffs now it kind of feels where they're at now the lines haven't moved the needle at all they feel like another nine and eight team to me right now uh, I think there's other people that have that same concern, me being one of them. Again, here my expectations haven't ca- changed. I don't care if Jamison Williams is out for the six games six games of the season. I don't care who they've gotten rid of. I don't care if they got rid of DeAndre Swift and they're counting on a whole new offensive backfield. My expectations haven't changed. There was so much damn hype and rhetoric from this team, from their fans, from the organization since midway of the second of the season last year when the team you know had a great second half of the season but still ended up as the last team out meaning they got the last draft pick before the playoff teams that that's what they won last year that was what their improvement did for them it did not put them in the postseason and this year to me you now have Aaron Rodgers in New York with the Jets you have the Minnesota Vikings that won the division last year with a really good record showed us in the postseason against the New York Giants that they were a house of cards. The Detroit Lions should do something they've never won before. They've never done or won before, and that is win the NFC North Division. The last time they won their division, which is over 30 years ago, it was called the NFC Central Division, and there were actually five teams in that division because Tampa Bay was part of it. But since it's become a four-team division called the NFC North, they have never won the division 
division in over 30 years. It's repulsive. I expect that to happen this year, which will mean if you win your division, you automatically get a home game. I don't care who the hell their opponent is at home this year. They need to win the NFC North and win at least one playoff game. To me, that would be minimum expectations. And any Lions fan out there does not expect and demand this from this Lions team. You're just flat out stupid and you're part of the problem. The bottom line is, you have been waiting an entire Super Bowl era to just see the Super Bowl. They haven't sniffed the damn the damn game. So if they don't at least win the division and win a playoff game this year, I don't want any excuses from any Lions fans out there. I don't care who gets injured, who gets hurt. That's the NFL. Not for long. Right now, this team is geared to go to the postseason. Everyone has said it. An improved team, not the same old Lions. It's time for everyone from the state of Michigan, instead of the represent the state with MI, represent it with MO for the state of Missouri, and show me. Show me before I start clapping. Up until then, you get this. That's a golf clap. You can't hear it. That's what the Lions deserve until they move forward. I didn't like the draft. C-minus is what I'm going to give it. Love it all you want out there. They need to win the division and win a postseason game. And, hey, that's my expectation for them. So, yeah, I'm drinking the Honolulu Blue and gold, blue and Silver Kool-Aid. Uh, we're going to move on, guys. Go ahead and hit it. we got to get to the nightcap. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Yeah, well, the puck has started uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights in the postseason, and 4-1, they're the first team to advance to the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I said one thing, Chris. I said this very succinctly and very clearly two weeks ago. The teams in this order that I do not want to see in the Stanley Cup playoffs or to avoid at all costs. Number one, of all the teams in the league, and I include the Boston Bruins, who they wouldn't see until the Stanley Cup Finals, was the Edmonton Oilers. The hottest team down the stretch, and it is because they have the most prolific Pass, uh, excuse me, power play in the history of the National Hockey League. Over 36% in the regular season, which is uncanny, and they're brushing up against 60% in the postseason. 8 for 14 on the power play. That scares the hell out of me, and it says one thing. There's one clear thing when you play the Edmonton Oilers. Do not go to the box. You have to avoid getting penalized at all costs, in my opinion, if you are going to beat this team, Chris. Well, yeah, and look, the, the the reality is the Golden Knights penalty kill in this last series against the Winnipeg Jets garbage. It was it was pedestrian, um, garbage. That 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 could be a problem. The Golden Knights at the six on five advantage for the Jets were not good. The entire postseason so far, when they have been down a man, they've not been good. So they they're either going to need to get it corrected very quickly. Or they're going to be looking at a lot of pucks in the back of the net when they go down a man. You have to talk to guys like Colasar, like even a guy like Carrier who just came back and say, look, we need your physical presence, yes, but you got to stay out of the box. Again, to me, that if I'm Bruce Cassidy, that comes up in every single meeting we have. Look, guys, I want you to play hard. I want you to play disciplined. Uh, but no matter what, you got to stay out of the penalty box. Yeah, I mean, that that's paramount in, in this series. I mean... Look, we, we, we all know what Edmonton is capable of. 
Um, you know, you you look at that team and they've got they've got three guys who had 100 points, right? Not Ryan Nugent Hopkins gets forgotten a lot because he's not Connor McDavid or Leon Draisaitl. This team is a lot different with Evander Kane on the ice. He he suffered a, a gruesome injury uh, early in the season. He missed a ton of time, but as soon as he came back, all of a sudden Winnipeg or Edmonton became much more dangerous. They started playing better. You know, that's a guy. I I know people don't have any love for him. I think he's he's a bit of a scumbag personally. Me too. But you can't. You have to respect what he is on the ice. And he is a guy who scores goals. He is a guy who makes things happen. He's a guy who's performed for Edmonton in the playoffs. And he's a guy who's not afraid to get under your skin. I mean, the the, the, the reality of the situation is that Edmonton is a very, 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 very good team. I mean, you can't, you can't use the word juggernaut. Obviously, they didn't win their division, let alone their conference or the, the pre- President's Cup. But the push they made at the end, and like you said, Chris, it coincided with the return of Evander Kane. Then you add guys like Darnell Nurse. You add guys like Evan Bruchard. This Bouchard, Bouchard, Bouchard is, 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 is ridiculous. Is Zach Hyman. Oh, my God. Is, 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 you know, like, they, they have... Zach Hyman, another guy who's down the list that still had more points than anybody on the Vegas Golden Knights. Or no, he yeah. didn't. I think he... I think he yeah, no, I think he did. He, he had like I know he had, points. T- he had a ton of power play so, goals. So, I mean, you know, this team is just so built right now for the playoffs. And really, you know, to me with the Edmonton Oilers, if they're going to get beat, they've got a young guy in net who's played really well. But Stuart Skinner, to me, is the X factor because here's the deal. That guy's beatable, and we've seen it. There's times yeah, that mean, he lets the puck in the net. But to me, that that is going to be the key. The Vegas Golden Knights are going to have to find a way to rattle Skinner in, and, and put pucks in the net. Offensively, Chris, I'm going to say against this team, they're not going to win a game that they don't score four four goals in. That's my opinion. Well, that's that's what you're looking at. You're and the Golden Knights to their to their defense have done a really good job of putting outside of game one against. Uh, Winnipeg, they scored four goals in every game, four straight games. They scored. Yep. They scored five, I think, in 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 two straight, and then they scored four. You know, they scored. Uh, what, what is it? Eighteen goals in four games. Yep. I mean, that that's pretty good, especially when you look at the guy in net for for the Winnipeg Jets. So the Golden Knights were able to generate offense. Um, they they got a little bit on the power play. I think Jack Eichel. I, I I'm going to put it out there and say he he. He lived up to expectations. I think he maybe exceeded them a little bit as well, right? First playoff series, you don't know what to expect. I think everyone had some jitters game one. But now you're you're facing a, a, a legit team. I mean, not to say that the Winnipeg Jets weren't, but they seemed like a team that was in a little bit of a funk, especially once they fell fell behind in the series. They just never really seemed to, to get things back to no. where they wanted it to be. You had Rick Bonus, and that's, that's a story. Um... I we the way the pressers are set up, I I totally miss Rick. You Bonus. missed Rick. I, Bonus. You know, Chris. I I had to go to the bathroom, so I'm like, all right, I got I got I got a few minutes, so I run out, I go to the bathroom, I come back like two minutes later. Bonus, and was, he was done. He was gone in a hurry. Spencer, as a matter of fact, you got to cue that up. I know Spencer's showing some highlights right now. Uh, get the get the the one of the. I think I sent you one of the 
quick clicks clips of Rick Bonus. Who, by the way, is an ex Detroit Red Wing. But uh, Rick Bonus, man, he came in. He said, "I'm a, a few questions only," and I was scared. I'm not going to mention any names on the show, but there's a couple of guys that are very long winded in the press conference with their with their <laughs> questions, and I was praying for their sake that neither one of them asked a question to Rick Bonus because he wouldn't have sat through the question, Chris. He was as antsy as could be. He wanted to get the hell out of here. He wanted to get out of Las Vegas. He he was pissed off. And you know what? I respect that. I want coaches and players to be pissed well, off when it's time for them to go golfing. Here, here, here's the problem. Blake Wheeler, yesterday, I guess they had their media lock, locker clean-out day in Winnipeg. And Blake Wheeler basically spent his, his media availability saying how disappointed he was in the way Rick Bonus handled that. It's like, dude. Where the hell were you in the series? Yeah, you non-existent. Spence, play play Rick Bonus after the uh, after the game in the press conference. Disappointed and disgusted right now. That's my thoughts. Where does the disgust come from? Pardon me. Where does the disgust come from? No pushback. But it's the same crap we saw in February. It was. That's why. So as soon as we were challenging for first place, and teams were coming after us, we had no pushback. This series, we had no pushback. Their better players were so much better than ours. <laughs> I mean, you know, it was nice to see him after game one. He was happy. Rick Bonus is a man, it can be a man of few words, and he doesn't, uh, you know, the bottom line is I like guys that tell it like it is. And, you know, we, we got a guy in Vegas who tells it like it is, too, Bruce Cassidy. After the game, um, you know, Bruce talking about the series and how they played and his reflection about, you know, series uh, number one against Winnipeg. I'm not sure if we got that one. Did you call for uh, the Bru- uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce Cassidy? Uh, Bruce Cassidy. You got it. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, it's okay. We're just trucks teams, you know what I mean? We're, we're good. And when we're on our game in a hurry, we look like we did in the first period where we're right on top of them, creating the better chances. Second half of game two, uh, early game three. So there's, it's just for us, I've always, I said it all along, for us it's to get that to that 60 minute. And the deeper you go in the playoffs, you have to be closer to that because you start playing, you know, two teams that are left or the eight teams that are left in this case. Um, you know, they're usually playing the best. So that's what we do well is find ways to win. What we don't do well at time is stay on our game, and that's up to me to make sure we find solutions to why. And, but we've got a veteran group. I think they, they know that they let their foot off the gas a little today and, um, but did what they had to do, blocked a lot of shots, worked hard to keep it out of our net. But I think the game, as I said, after we lost, we let the lead get away and we won an overtime in game three, it could be good for us in the long run. And I think it turned out that way for guys that haven't had a lot of playoff experience, including LB, right? Including Jack, guys we rely on. Uh, maybe some other guys that haven't played a lot. You know, if we had to come out on the wrong side of that, maybe the series changes, but that's not the way it worked out. So for us, um, finding ways to win has been a motto for us all year. And I don't think our stats show that we're one of the best teams in any particular category except wins. And that's what you play for.
It's damn straight what you pay for, play for is wins. And you can hear Bruce Cassidy, again, a no-nonsense guy. I like him. He answers the questions. He's usually cool, calm, and collective. And I think everyone appreciates Bruce Cassidy as a, when you're a member of the media and as a fan that this guy is a guy that can get the job done and take this team as far as they can go, which might be this far, uh, depending on what happens against Edmonton. But as Chris mentioned, you know, the cream has rised to the top. And one of the things that I think is no question has been established in the first round of the playoff, and as you heard uh, Bruce Cassidy mention him, LB, Lauren Brossois, has without question to me established himself as the number one goaltender right now going forward in the Stanley Cup playoffs. After the game, I got a chance to talk to Lauren Brossois a little bit about, you know, losing that first game and then winning the next four and how important is that, and then, of course, uh, you know, looking ahead, you don't want to talk about, you know, those players will never talk about who they wanted to play because at that point, it hadn't been established yet whether it was going to be Edmonton or the L.A. Kings. So, you know, but talking about that and looking forward, but this was uh, Lauren Brossois after the game. You guys lose game one and then win four straight. Do you think it's kind of better to do it that way where you guys are really rolling now? Four straight wins, there's got to be a lot of confidence. That is a lot of confidence. And, um, you know, I don't think it really matters which order um, you get the wins in. Um, it's all about, you know, the details. You know, if, if we would have lost two, as long as, you know, that last win that closes it out, our game's at the top. I know it doesn't matter which team you play. You're going to say that uh, it doesn't matter who you play, but would it help you if maybe that, that series got extended a week off to get guys maybe like McNabb and and maybe uh, you know um, Shea Theodore healthy? Yeah, obviously want as much time as possible to get get those guys uh, as healthy as possible. Um, so yeah, if they're if the other series drags on, that that also is an advantage for us because they'll be a bit more fatigued than us. So that's you know that's. You know, pretty cliche, but that's what we're hoping for. In the cream rising at the top, Laurent Brossois, you know, has has done a great job. His first ever postseason. Not a young guy. He's thirty years old. He's been around. He was with Winnipeg before, but his first ever postseason experience. He's handled it tremendously. To considering that a year ago the guy's guy gets hip surgery, recovers from that, goes to Henderson. He's buried kind of in the depth chart. You know, you got Logan Thompson and Aiden Hill as number one and two, and Brossois just kept playing hard and. Henderson and ended up getting called up and getting the job, but the the right now the key is all the stars rising to the top. Stone with three goals and eight points to to be the co leader um, along with Chandler Stevenson uh, as far as points go, who also has eight points, four goals to and he's been the team lead with goals as well with Carlson who's also got four. But after the game in the post game press conference, Chris asked Chandler Stevenson because a, a guy that a lot of people didn't know a great deal about. Yeah, Stanley Cup champion with the Washington Capitals at one time, but. We didn't know a lot about him, and Chris talked about that after the game with him. Chapman, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Chandler, when you came here, I don't think anybody in this room really knew a lot about you. Like, we knew you played with the Capitals, and, you know, you won the Stanley Cup with the Capitals. But your game has grown so much since you got here. Can you just talk about how much it's grown and, and what it feels like to score two goals in a closeout game? Yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> that was the biggest thing for myself, just coming in uh, with a clean slate. Um, and it's kind of letting me go and uh, seeing what I got. So um, confidence just kind of built and built. And then obviously uh, when you're playing with Stoney and Patrick, uh, you know, they make the game easy. So um, to build chemistry with those guys and, uh, you know, to continue with Stoney, it's just um, kind of been in the rear view and just beating myself as much as I can. And um, yeah, it's, it's a nice feeling to be back to where I wanted to be.
He finished second in the regular season with 65 points, one point behind Jack Eichel for the team lead. And right now, of course, uh, again, tied for the lead in points for the Vegas Golden Knights. Tied in goals with four, and he's got eight points right now, tied with Mark Stone, who's also playing really well. The Vegas Golden Knights, Edmonton Oilers series coming up. Uh, I said, again, the number one team I didn't want to see was the Edmonton Oilers. I said in this order, number two was the Boston Bruins. They wouldn't see them until the Stanley Cup Finals. The Tampa Bay Lightning scared me, but they're gone. And the other two teams that really scare me in the Stanley Cup fi- in the playoffs are you know, the Dallas Stars and the Colorado Avalanche. And it looks like depending on what happens in game seven between you know the Colorado Avalanche uh, with with that series um you could see uh, after if you somehow get by Edmonton, you'll probably have to play one of those two teams, and that worries the hell out of me going forward. But the bottom line is, you're not going to get through the playoffs without playing teams that cause you problems. Dallas, the only team to beat the Vegas Golden Knights three times this past regular season. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. We're, we got a guest coming up in just a minute here. The one other thing I wanted to talk about, um, the one series, uh, I guess congratulations out to the Toronto Maple Leafs after almost two decades finally advanced to the the second round of the playoffs, arguably the second best player in the National Hockey League in Austin Matthews. And after that game, Austin Matthews talked about finally getting over the hump. Took all 20-plus guys in here, took everybody, and um, you know, I think everybody just should be really proud of their effort, uh, the whole series, but tonight just to get this job done and you know, on the road, not an easy task. And, um, you know, it's a great feeling. Um, you know, obviously, a monkey off the back for, for a lot of us that have been here for, for quite a yeah, it, it, it's a, it was a great feeling to watch Toronto finally get over the hump and also to see them bump Tampa Bay, who I'm tired of. I'm tired of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And, uh, you know, the, those guys in the playoffs, man, when you're talking about guys like Kucherov and Stamkos and uh, Vagileski, one of the best goaltenders, if not the best goaltender in the National Hockey League, I don't mind seeing those guys out in the Eastern Conference. But, again, the Vegas Golden Knights, that's a long way down the road for them to worry about right now. They've got to worry about uh, the roadblock right in front of them. And that's the Edmonton Oilers, the best power play in the National Hockey League, uh, three of the best players in the National Hockey League on their team, and um, they are going to be beyond a formidable foe. I am going to say it right now. I think the Vegas Golden Knights lose this series in six games. I really hope that I'm wrong, but um, just got to be honest, man, this is going to be a really, really tough, uh, tough thing going on. I believe we have Natalie Williams on the line right now with us and, and joining us on, and I didn't want to keep her waiting any longer. Natalie, I got to tell you, man, I um, wow. Number one, congratulations. I haven't gotten to speak with you since the last time you were on the show, but congratulations on what the Vegas, uh, what the Las Vegas Aces did in 2022. Unprecedented for the fact that first professional sports franchise to win a championship in Las Vegas. The first parade this city has ever seen, and it was pretty cool, the Aces, and we're about to talk about it, but they just got rewarded. Besides the rings that they're all getting, they just got rewarded in a huge way out in Henderson. Yeah, thank you for having me on this morning. Uh, we're very excited. We start training camp this morning, and um, you know, to be in that amazing facility, uh, these girls are just just ecstatic and ready to get going. Such success for this team and the growth of this team and and how much better they just continued to get throughout the season last year. And now, you know, an an addition that is just going to be monstrous for this team. And they've got to be the odds on favorite to win it again. You've experienced a lot of success in your basketball career. What makes this Aces team so special? 
Well, I think um, we've got such amazing competitors and um, it helps to have veteran leadership. I mean, Chelsea Gray running the helm and then, you know, Asia Wilson, our, our true, true leader uh, on the, on the court and then bringing in Candace Parker and Alicia Clark. I mean, just great veterans who know how to win and really uh, are self selfless enough that they are willing to give up, you know, uh, points and, and accolades to win a championship because they understand that's the most important thing. No question about it. The growth of so many players, Chelsea Gray being one of them, just to, uh, a star last year in the WNBA, now, now a force to be reckoned with. Jackie Young, the confidence she seemed to gain from her Olympic experience and really became what they'd hoped she'd become when she was drafted number one out of college. Uh, but let's let's talk about this facility a little bit. And Spencer, uh, while we're talking about it, show some of the beautiful pictures of this facility. I got a chance to walk around uh, two days ago on Friday and... And, you know, just all I kept doing was shaking my head from the court itself to the locker room, which is so nice. And I kept thinking to myself, God, I, I wonder when they're going to let the Raiders players take a look at this practice facility. Because I imagine they'll be pulling on Mark Davis's strength back. And Mark Davis will say to him, he can turn around and simply say, look, win a championship. You like this? Win a championship. This is how you get rewarded. But from the locker room and those lockers, just Absolutely gorgeous. Um, as a matter of fact, Spencer, you can play for me. Uh, you know, Asia Wilson. Um, you know, she was she was in there and just loving this locker room. She was beaming. I mean, she couldn't. You, you could probably couldn't have taken the smile off her face if you needed to. But she was talking about what this means to you know to her and to the organization itself. My favorite part of the facility. But I would try to steal it. And Natalie, you know, it's funny because um, the bottom line is that it might be the nicest film room in the world for any professional franchise. Every team at Spencer showing right now all of all of the massage chairs in there. Becky Hammond did say she's removing them all, and I did a little clip which you can see on my Facebook about the film room, saying, "Look, if I'm the coach of this team, I bring in uncomfortable wooden benches when it comes time to watch film." Because the bottom line, anybody who's ever played any sport that is required watching film, football, any sport, and I just remember in high school, I would sit in the back and it would be the worst. On a day that I had a bad game, I knew I had to stay awake because I'm going to get yelled at a couple of times. Other than that, watching film, even with yourself in the film, is boring as can be. We all hate it. They reverse it a million times. You watch the same thing over and over again. And if you're sitting in chairs where my feet and my calves are getting massaged, three minutes, the film session is going to turn into a snore session real quick. Well, we hope that doesn't happen, and um, the players need to definitely stay awake, and maybe then Becky will keep the chairs in there, but they're going to fight for those chairs. Um, I've sat in them. They're pretty amazing. Um, but, yeah, what an incredible facility that Mark Davis has given these women, and um, just from the workout equipment to the training facility to the, you know, the cryo tank, the sauna, the hot and cold whirlpools, I mean, all these things that before they've had to go other places to utilize. So 
it's just incredible to have it all in one place. Uh, it's so cool. I mean, I mean, from the the sauna to the cold plunges, you walk through the workout facility. You feel so good walking through this. And you know, you know, for women's basketball, and you can see this facility. And again, I don't want to appear sexist in any way, but it was designed by women, and you can see the attention to detail that is put into this facility. And I got to believe the architects that designed this building are going to be getting a lot of calls from different sports franchises saying, hey, you know what, we're getting some grief. Can you come in here and take a look at our facility? Because so much attention to detail from the court, the logos, everything, it is just absolutely gorgeous. It really is. I mean, I mean I'll, I'll be surprised if some of the players don't want to move in there. <laughs> well, they did say they'd like to sleep there. So <laughs> good thing we didn't put any beds or, or things like that in there. Other than oh, yeah, in the, mean, nap, uh, the, nap the nap room for the kids. For the kids. Yeah, the family room is amazing. I mean, there are cribs in there and, and places for people to relax all throughout the facility. But, um, I mean, the women who created this, just wonderful to work with. I've been, you know, uh, working with them over the last few months just to finish up the touches. And they've just done an incredible job. And, yeah, they definitely will have more people calling them. Oh, there's no doubt. It's gorgeous. If you get a chance, it is off St. Rose Parkway, not too far from the M. It is absolutely gorgeous. And uh, again, I'll be putting up more stuff on the website and on my Facebook page so you can see this facility. A lot of people, members of the press that went there all did this. Natalie, before I let you go, obviously, Aces, uh, big expectations this year, as they should be, adding Candace Parker, one of the greatest players of all time, to an already really um, just just uh, star-filled roster. You look at the Olympians that are on this team the champions and now you've got a team full of champions it is cool to 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 uh, even envision what's going to happen this year but i got to ask you about becky hammond i mean becky is incredible she is an orchestrator she is the conductor of this beautiful band that has been put together here in las vegas however you know they say eventually the nba is going to have a female head coach and you know rumors now with the Toronto Raptors uh, you know the bottom line is the guy in San Antonio can't be there forever and with that team kind of struggling and heading backwards you, you figure it, at, at some point he's going to ride off into the sunset and she was there playing uh, you know coaching underneath him and a lot of people thought that's where she would get her first coaching job but now you've got the Toronto Raptors again right now her focus is on the Las Vegas Aces I understand that but from a sports standpoint you know that's going to happen one day and how cool would it be if she was that person to be the first the pioneer to become the first woman head coach in the national basketball association yeah i mean becky is completely qualified a hundred percent to do that i mean we we don't want to lose her in any point but you know if that is a decision she makes in the future i know that uh any nba team would be ecstatic to have her she is incredible her x's and o's her ability to uh, connect with the players um, you know, everybody knows about her ATOs out of bounds and, uh, but she is just, um, amazing and how just watching her over this last year, she's an incredible coach. And so we are very, very lucky to have her hope she stays with us a lot longer and, uh, we can bring in a few more championships. Yeah, she, yeah. she is incredible. She exudes success, but so does everyone involved with the ACEs team, including yourself, a former Olympic champion, uh, all American. I mean, there's so many people like that in place with this organization. It's no wonder that this team is experienced such success at an early stage since they've moved to Las Vegas. You're part of that. And we appreciate Natalie, Will Natalie Williams, general manager of the Las Vegas aces, taking the time out to join us this morning and uh, getting ready for camp starting today. 
Yep, starting in two hours. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Once again, Natalie Williams, general manager of the Las Vegas Aces. Appreciate her taking time out. Ten minutes left to go in the show, guys. Got to talk about some more basketball, but moving to the NBA. Spencer, um, what can you say? I know you're disappointed in your Memphis Grizzlies, but you know going in that the team was hampered, they were hurt, and somehow the Lakers get healthy, get the right personnel at the right time, and this is a team that is going to be a tough out for anyone that now plays them in the Western Conference. And it, it, and also, transversely, the Memphis Grizzlies are a team that is going to be a force for, to be reckoned with. As long as John Morant stays there and stays healthy, they'll be a force to be reckoned with as we look down the road. But right now, the Lakers making another bid. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, if he can finally stay healthy throughout this entire postseason, and the other working parts they have on that team, the Lakers, as I said, are going to be a tough out. Yeah, it was kind of the perfect storm for the Grizzlies. <clears throat> I think going into the first round, just losing Steven Adams, losing Brandon Clark, just two pivotal pieces of the team. They put up a pretty valiant effort in game five. Game six, you can't really say. They lost by 40. So they'll be back. They'll be fine. Hopefully they do more maturing going into this year than they did going into you know this last year where it didn't seem like they really made any progress at all. Actually, maybe went backwards a few steps, but they were still the youngest team in the playoffs that year, which is still incredible to see a second seed be just so successful. So they have a long ways to go, but hopefully they'll get there. And yeah, the Lakers look really dangerous. They just look like they're getting it from everyone. Austin Reeves like really came out in that series. We knew he kind of had a great season. There's a big campaign for him kind of showcasing his talents and seems to even be doing more going into the playoffs, which you'd love to see. Uh, I think a lot of their success is going to depend on D'Angelo Russell, you know, had a great game six, but you're at home against an injured Grizzlies team who kind of, I don't know, gave all their energy in game five just to get to game six. And you kind of knew it was going to fall under them going into it. And to see D'Angelo Russell play well then is like, doesn't really mean much, right? They needed him to play well in game five and he didn't. So I think he's one of the more pivotal pieces that kind of flies under the radar, but they're a dangerous team. And the NBA playoffs have been great this year, Brian. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of parody going on right now. They really have been great. And I'll tell you, Spencer, my favorite series to watch wasn't the Grizzlies-Lakers series. I'm not a the Lakers fan. I was more of a Grizzly fan. I'm a huge John Morant fan on the court. I love what that guy brings to the game of basketball. Uh, his, his ability to defy the laws of gravity are pretty incredible. I mean, this guy hangs in the air kind of Jordan-esque. But, but um, the series that I was most intrigued by, you knew when Giannis Antetokounmpo went down, that it was going to be tough for the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, that guy is the best player at times in the NBA. There's a couple guys you can argue are right there with them. The Joker's pretty damn good, but the bottom line is Giannis is just a freak athlete and a freak basketball player, and as he goes, goes the Milwaukee Bucks. He goes, and so go the Milwaukee Bucks. But I'm not focusing on the Milwaukee Bucks here. I'm focusing on the Miami Heat. Once again, this Miami Heat team finds a way to overachieve. And as much as I love Eric Spolstra, and I think, you know, again, I don't think enough people talk about him when they talk about the all-time great coaches in the National Basketball Association because they give so much of the credit of their championships to LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh that they forget. 
forget that the the orchestrator of the Miami Heat is Eric Spolstra. He understands how to mesh really good talent and big-time egos and personalities, and that's what makes him great. And I'll tell you, Jimmy Butler, not that Jimmy Butler's immature, that he doesn't have a great... Jimmy Butler wants to win. He has a ridiculous fire that just wants to win basketball games, but he has been a problem for certain coaches to handle. Jimmy Butler does have a strong, dynamic ego, and yet Eric Spolstra has him in check when it comes to playing basketball. He gets him to to play on the court, keep his mouth shut, and the bottom line, he gets the most out of Jimmy Butler. And the most out of Jimmy Butler is another guy that is labeled as one of the top players in the NBA. And when this guy starts playing basketball, and especially in the postseason, Spencer, he is so incredibly special and fun to watch. And Jimmy Butler is the reason the Miami Heat's moved on. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, 50-point performances. It's something happened to this team. And it does so much credit. It has to be given to Eric Spolstra. I mean, every single year, the, the going into this postseason, it looked like they weren't going to make it out of the playoff, the playing game. You know, they lose the first one, they go into the second one, and then suddenly, you know, Giannis goes down. But I can't, you can't even say that because he played the last two games and he looked fairly healthy, especially for the last one. And they were at home, and just him to be able to do that, put up an incredible shot to force the game to go into overtime, and then really just kind of end it is nothing short of spectacular he feels like the last of the nba breed of just guys who care about competition more than anything else you know like the kobe types these young players coming into the league i just don't see that kind of dog in them and i think that's what carries them so far this was one of the worst shooting teams in the nba going into the playoffs no one gave them a shot in the entire world to go anywhere and yet here they are they look like they're playing as good as they ever have and you have uh you know you've lost some good shooters they lost a his name is slipping my mind, but he broke his hand. Tyler Hero, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. So we'll see how that ends up affecting them into the next round. But they play the Knicks. It'll be an interesting one because the Knicks played a, a heck of a round in round one. But it was against the Cavs, and the Cavs certainly have a lot of talent on their team. But kind of underwhelming to me. Like, I never was really drinking that Kool-Aid for them. None of them had any playoff experience out of Don- outside of Donovan uh, Mitchell, who hasn't done anything in the playoffs. And other than that, nobody had done anything. This will be a real test, you know, for the New York Knicks. But if if the Miami keeps going further and further, I'd love to see maybe like a Miami Lakers rematch in the finals <laughs> in front of the crowd. I think that'd be really cool. That's kind of the one that I'm pushing for, but we'll see if it actually happens. Well, I think, I everyone, think everyone would love to see that, Spencer. You're looking at two underdogs, a seventh seed and an eighth seed making it to the NBA uh, finals would be something unprecedented. I don't think it's ever happened before. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that both those teams can make runs. I think, um, you know, they've got a lot of roadblocks in front of them. The Knicks and Heat should be a hell of a series. I think the Heat can get past the Knicks. I just don't know if after that uh, what they're, what the odds are of getting past the 76ers or the Boston Celtics, whoever wins that series. And the 76ers in a little bit of trouble. As good as they looked in the first round, uh, Joel, Joel Embiid is said to be at, potentially on the shelf. And without Joel Embiid, they have no chance of beating the 76ers. They're going to need him. But if, he, if, he, if he's healthy, that should be an incredible series. And uh, looking, I'm actually looking really forward to that and seeing what happens in that series. And again, you've got one game seven. Uh, that is today at 1230, Spencer. The Warriors playing the Sacramento Kings. It is in, it is in Sacramento. Who do you like and why in that series today? 
well. I don't know who I like, but I know that I want Sacramento to win. So I'm going to put it out into the universe. Sacramento is going to win at home, and finally we can don't have to watch Jamon Green on television anymore. That's all okay. I care about. I, I, you know, I think Sacramento wins. They're playing at home. It's a big game, and I'm agreeing with you. I'm I, Even though Draymond Green is a Michigan State alumni, I am about done with him, and I'm done with the, with the Golden State Warriors. They've won enough, in my opinion. In the NHL, real quick, you've got... Three game sevens, two today, one tomorrow. You've got the Panthers and the Bruins going at it today at 3.30. 6.30 tonight, the Kraken and the Avalanche. All, both those should be tremendous games. Panthers, man, just playing so great. Last year win the President's Cup. Don't do anything with it. Here they barely make the playoffs this year, and they're standing toe-to-toe with one of the best regular season teams in the history of the NHL. And tomorrow you've got uh, Magnum's New Jersey Devils playing the, playing the New York Rangers. That should be a hell of a game as well. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen in those games. Aviators, man, on a roll, 1-4 straight, uh, 11 out of their last 14. One more chance to see them in this home series today, 12:05 against Tacoma. Get out there to the Las Vegas ballpark if you haven't been. It's as cool as hell. Listen, I'm Brian Feldman. We're out of time. I want to thank Natalie Williams, general manager for the Las Vegas Aces, joining the show today. As always, Chris Magnum Chapman behind the wheels of steel and in the green room joining the show in a big way today, Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski. Uh, once again, we're here every Sunday morning, 8 to 9, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 13. 1340 AM flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. This is out of line. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye.